Hi, Simon. Hey, Rachel. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Black Ink podcast. But before we get into it, I know you've had an amazing career, both producer and presenter. Do you just want to give us a little run through of some of your highlights? Okay, so some of my highlights, my CV, my job interview. <laughs> um, so I started off uh, writing TV listings for uh, newspapers, and from there, I worked briefly in lots of different roles on Today newspaper, which um, only old people will remember, um, and uh, did a bit on The Sun, and I ended up as TV critic uh, on The Daily Mirror for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Then when Mirror Group set up live TV, I went over to live TV as a presenter and did uh, various shows there. And then I became a sort of producer slash uh, reporter for hire. So I would used to report on the Saturday Night Lottery show, which I also ended up producing at one time. And then since then, I've kind of just been sort of a bit of a producer for hire, still did a bit of presenting, did a bit of uh, broadcasting. Uh, I sort of uh, do TV reviews for Gabby Roslin and film and podcast reviews for her for BBC Radio London. So I'm one of those kind of freelancers, jobbing, jobbing freelancer. uh, Doing everything. uh, Jerk of all trades, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I heard you um, were the head at scripted comedy at the BBC as well. Is that? Uh, well, I was um, uh, one of the creative heads of comedy, and yeah. I sort of headed up Comedy North. Um, yeah, so I kind of went to the BBC as a comedy producer. I really wanted to do scripted. I'd done a sort of broken comedy panel shows, um, but I really wanted to do sketch shows, and I really wanted to do sort of sitcom stuff like that. And I was lucky enough to go to the BBC as a producer and then get to creative head. Um, but I kind of think what sort of when I was doing it, it's still, you know, a lot of glass ceilings that I ended up pressing up against, but didn't quite manage to smash through sadly, but made some really good friends, worked with some really talented people there. I can only imagine your presence would have made a huge difference, whether you, you crashed those ceilings or not. I'm sure you made the difference that you're, you know, you might not see, but I'm sure people came after you definitely felt the difference. So good on oh, you. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> no, it's okay. And you ran the online content for Shortlist magazine as well. Yeah. So I did, um, after I left TV for a bit around about 2012, cause I wanted to do my own startup. I'd always had this idea of, um, a kids review site where kids reviewed stuff. And so I set up a website called Kid Rated, um, which is still going. Um, But if you know anything about doing your own business and startup, at some point, if you don't raise money, you have to go and get a proper job again. So um, I wanted to leave TV at that stage. So I went and worked in the digital arena. and I was head of, uh, yeah, as you say, head of video at Shortlist slash Stylist. Uh, which I did for just under a year before going on to work at Yanga um, and Africa Media Works as their head of original content and stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Do you have a connection with um, West Africa? No, not at all. And in fact, it was really funny. The person who asked me, really good friend of mine was going to be doing it, a guy called Sam Delaney, the broadcaster and journalist. And I'd worked with him. I'd worked with him off and on for 20 years. Love Sam. And he said... Oh, we've been asked, his production company had been asked to uh, do some stuff for Africa Media Works in Yanga. And he said, it'd be great if you can help us out and come in. So I went in and said to them, they were like, oh, great, a black person. (laughs) Because there's not a lot of us in telly. (laughs) At that stature, who can sort of run a department? I mean, there's 
there are, but sort of mm. we are we are uh, thin on the ground. Yes. And they were like, a black person, an African channel, everything. I had to say, look, I'm adopted by white parents. I'm married to a white person and I'm not from Africa, but <laughs> hey, I'm your person. And you know something of all the jobs I've done, I think that was the biggest learning curve and working with young British black talent and bringing them through as researchers and APs and producers. Really, really, really humbling and really good fun. Really good. Yeah. That must have been quite awesome. I mean, working in the industry, I know how far and few between we are and yeah. uh, kind, of, kind of go through and, and build a career upon it. And a lot of people drop out because yeah, to a certain point and you just can't deal with the the racism, the banter, yeah. the, the, the blocking of your progression. And so I've got a lot of peers that kind of just like, yeah, I can't do this anymore and then just start again somewhere else. So, you know. Yeah, I mean... The, I really, um, the kids and sort of, I'm at the age now that anybody under 35, I get to call a kid. So the kids that I worked <laughs> with there. Right, black don't um, crack, it's cool. <laughs> the kids that I worked with there, um, you know, they really should, seeing how hard it was for them after afterwards for, you know, for those reasons. And they had made, those kids made a lot of shows with me in a very short space of time. In a year, they were pushing sort of 250 shows they made they made a hell of a lot of shows really really experienced but you know it's it's tough it's tough for young black kids in the media oh yeah for sure and you know I don't blame when things happen like sort of not enough when people say BAFTA's so white and all the rest of it it's not BAFTA's fault they're only voting for the people that they can see in front of them we just have to get more people more cinematographers, more wardrobe, more just throughout the throughout the whole process. It's not just in front of camera, but um, yeah, great, great kids who I worked with there. Oh, well, that's awesome. Um, and with everything that's going on at the moment, there's a lot of companies trying to bring that one black person that they um, <laughs> want to have for an interview. Or uh, is that what this is? Are you well, like, like me doing your demographic? That's what's that. happening. It's like we got to tick. We got to tick that box. You know. <laughs> Um, for perception reasons, but that's for another show, I suppose. Do you have any social media media handles that people can follow you? Yes, I'm. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram and Instagram. Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. Uh, at, at S London UK. I'm on Radio London every other Sunday, reviewing podcasts for her and films for her. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of doing uh, another new film review show that I've kind of got under wraps and I'm going to do a pilot of in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. And I'm currently head of video at The Nest and The Nest is a new startup uh, for founders and for entrepreneurs. And it's an app where they can, it's kind of like masterclass for entrepreneurs. They can download the app and see lectures by uh, inspiring entrepreneurs. And it's mainly aimed at the underrepresented people in sort of the entrepreneur ecosystem because women get about two percent of vc money black women get about 0.2 percent and black founders find it very difficult to raise money so we're sort of aiming it at at them that's awesome god you're really doing the most aren't you (laughs) 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 Um, so as you know black ink cinema is about celebrating all things black cinema and we asked you to pick a film that you'd like to talk about and you picked one of my faves 
the Spike Lee classic Inside Man. Yeah. Tell me why. So, really, really interesting, actually. Uh, well, our mutual friend Adam, when he got in touch with me, and said, you know, love to talk about Spike Lee. I know you love Spike Lee. And I do. I've sort of, I was showing you earlier. I, I was such a massive Spike Lee fan. You know what, that thing where you suddenly see a film and then you start reading about people. And, and so <laughs> this, is, this is my person, you know. I, yeah. Every time a film came out, I didn't just have to see the film. I had to get the book and the books of, of the script and how it was made. Oh, you've got um, an amazing library there. I went over to New York and I went to his 40 acres in a mule shop <gasps> when it was times. I used to have loads of sweatshirts, T-shirts with 40 acres and a mule and an ex-baseball cap. Sort of Spike Lee was my man. And once I was making a show in LA, only show I ever made, only out there for three months and not something I did all the time. into a hotel and there's Spike Lee sat in the foyer. And I'm just like, Spike, I'm from England and I'm doing a show about You're My Hero. And I got to speak to him for a couple of minutes. And oh, it that's was amazing. Just amazing. So I'm... Cut me and I bleed, Spike Lee. So oh, um, I hope he was nice to you because there's nothing worse than meeting your heroes and they're a bit of a dick. <laughs> he, was, he was lovely. The one thing he did do, though, I said, I've got T-shirts from 40 Acres and a Mule. And he said, wow, when do you get that? I closed that shop years ago. <laughs> I, was thinking, I thought my stuff was really cool. It's just really old. Um, yeah. So when kind of you guys said, you know, Spike Lee, it could be a Spike Lee film, I thought, yeah, which one should I do? Should I do Do the Right Thing? Um, so I do Summer of Sam, Clockers. And I thought, no, Inside Man. I'm going to talk about yeah. Inside Man. And Inside Man does not really feel like a Spike Lee film. I totally agree with you, yeah. A lot of people don't it. even know it's a Spike Lee film. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, um, it's, a, it's a really, I think it's a really, really important film. And it is totally Spike Lee. Totally mm. Spike Lee when you think about it. So he's got... His De Niro to his Scorsese, Denzel Washington, yeah. who's made sort of four or five films with, yes. is there as the, as the cop. Uh, and he's cast Seattle uh, Edgy Four, a young, well, at the time, young British actor. But it's a multicultural cl- cast. It's a, it's a really mixed cast. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't have a message. It's not sort of, it's not sort of, it doesn't feel that it's got the sort of Spike Lee social commentary about it. And why it's so brilliant is you go, this is a brilliantly made film that could only be made by a really confident director. Mm. And he doesn't have to be pigeonholed. This is not a black film. This is a Spike Lee film. And it feels like it could be up there with a Scorsese film. It's, yeah. it's brilliantly directed. And, um, and I think for me, that was the moment when it was, give Spike Lee more great stories to tell. That's how I felt yeah. after watching it. I totally agree with you. And I, I hate the fact that he hasn't had such a, another opportunity like that in terms of big budget, um, unlimited kind of access to a cast that you can just think, wow, you know, Christopher Plummer to Jodie Foster and then Denzel. That's crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's his highest grossing film. And so you just kind of wonder, like, what, you know, give him the opportunity. It's really frustrating to kind of see that, um, the man that he is, and he's still kind of struggling in the industry. 
Yeah, so you, you kind of think as well. I mean, I, I watched it. I wanted to do my homework for you guys. So I watched it again the other day and I watched it with the DVD commentary on, which I hadn't done for Spike Lee film for ages. And it's great. I highly recommend it. A lot of swearing in it and, a lot of <laughs> and everything else. But the story behind it is great. He was went in to see... Uh, uh, Brian Grazer, who's the producing partner of Ron Howard, about yeah. another project. And unbeknownst to them, somebody had slipped him the script of Inside Man that had been knocking around for a while. And Ron Howard actually was going to direct yeah, it. I heard that. decided to do Cinderella Man with Russell Howard instead. Sorry, not Russell Howard. That would be terrible. <laughs> Russell Crowe instead. <laughs> no offence to Russell Howard, but come on. Um <laughs> how would be good as a boxer um so uh so spike lee just at the meeting was finishing said oh, i've seen the inside man script i'd love to do that film and i think i can get denzel washington to do it and so yeah as soon as he was able to cast it or bring a cast to it it got greenlit and it got rushed through studio and the next thing he knew who's making this film now the cast which includes christopher Plummer, jodie foster denzel washington and Willem Dafoe, as mm. well as Clive Owen, yeah. shot on location in New York, down on Wall Street. They made it for $50 million. $50 million. That's it was crazy. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but he's working there with top, top names. Yeah. And doing brilliant performances. A lot of the cast, uh, sorry, a lot of the scenes are improvised. Yeah, I mean, you kind of get that a little bit. Like, you get yeah. their personalities, but the execution is so sharp. Yeah. from them all and you're just like I think maybe that's why it feels so authentic yes. I don't know they really immerse themselves in each character like I really feel like Jodie is that like icy bitch and it's nice because you don't usually see her like that you know she's a bit more tomboyish or laid back but she was really clean and precise um, in Inside Man and Christopher Plummer oh my god to play like you know a horrible Nazi yeah. <laughs> it's just like someone's granddad you know yeah. it's like he's a man uh, who ran away from the Nazis 50 years ago he's become yeah. one um yeah interestingly he says in the film that Jodie Foster he said he'd always want they'd always wanted to work together mm. and uh his brother was at Yale when Jodie Foster remembered she gave up acting for a bit to go back to college yeah. and so he'd sort of known her through his brother for for years and when she said she wanted to do the film she also said to him and I want to be glamorous she said I'm always playing down oh, nice. characters so I want yeah. to be glamorous so he's like okay cool and so he jokes in it a lot look at Jodie she's got her legs out you never see Jodie's <laughs> legs what great legs um and he said he he said if you watch the scenes as they come up between her and Denzel Washington mm. I think there's they only have about three four scenes together but two of those are one-take scenes. Oh, wow. One-take scenes. And he's just said, you know, when he handed in his rushes, the, you know, the people said, Where are the, where's the coverage? And he said, I don't need any. It's just one take, pushing the camera in slowly. And those two just hitting their lines and hitting their marks. And, and that is one of my favourite scenes when they're talking in front of the window and the, the camera's just kind of zooming in yeah, and it's yeah. just so intense. And they're having a very, like, they're almost arguing, but... So yeah. mellow, and you're just like, oh god, it's about to kick off yeah. in a minute. But yeah, like nothing actually happens. But it's a it's a fantastic scene, and it just goes to show their professionalism. Like, yes, as definitely. Actors, you know, definitely. And if we talk about actually, if we talk about performances, interestingly, Denzel Washington, Spike wanted Denzel Washington to play the bank robber, the Clive Owen uh, 
but Denzel didn't want to do it because, and you obviously know this, go on. Well, no, I just, one of the things that I noticed and why I love the inside man is because it's all very role reversal. You know, you've got yeah. the two black cops taking down the white robbers. There's literally not one <laughs> person of color who's robbing the bank and you've got two black males taking that. It was all very like, I was like, this yeah, story is great. <laughs> yeah, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. So Denzel Washington said, uh, no, no, no. I don't want to play the robber because his face is covered for half the movie. Oh, so okay. I didn't even... Yeah. yeah. So Clive Owen, again, wasn't quite sure about taking the role because his face covered. But Spike Lee said, you know, just trust me. Trust me. I'll get a great performance out of you and it mm. won't matter. You, they will get to see you. And again, I love that story when I found out about that, though I love the point you make as well, is that it's such a great film and it's such a great story that he doesn't need although there are little nuggets in there, he doesn't need to kind of make it a social injustice story or it's not about the black guy taking down the white guy. It's not a payback yeah. film. It's not no, it's no. just very, very strong characters doing what they do best, whether that be Rob Banks, be old mm. Nazis, be a fixer in Jodie Foster's case, <laughs> be head of a SWAT team in, case of, in the case of Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's just a great a great film. And I look at that film and go, you could give that film to a Scorsese. You could give it to a Frankenheimer. You could give it to um, a Tarantino even. All of them yeah. would make their version of that film mm. because it's a great, great story. But Spike Lee's version is possibly the version that we don't really expect. It's so straight. It's not, it doesn't meander. There's no fat in there. Mm. And like you said, like, it, it's not like his other kind of social political movies that he makes. So it's more mainstream and it kind of fits in a more linear narrative when it comes to ticking a box. However, like you said, he does ha have his little Easter eggs and his little nuggets of like, you know, just think about this and role yeah. reversal. And I think all of that was very much intentional. I know Denzel has spoken in the past about the roles that he plays and how he's very specific about it. Um, so even though he's not making a song and dance about, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever it might be, just by those two characters playing the roles that they did play, um, completely changed the narrative of the story. And also, I don't know if you'd have the same empathy or understanding if the robbers were Black. Because there's this real, like, you're on the robber's side. You kind of want, you know, you want them to get away. You want them to succeed in the highest. But because of how black people are portrayed in the media, normally, I don't think you would have that initial, oh, we're kind of on your side and we want you to. It's a really prevent. interesting, yeah, really interesting way to look at it. Though, you, though I might say it's so skillfully shot and the performances are so well-rounded and everything else that I could see Clive Owen I could see them being reversed and I could see it still being a great film but it's an interesting an interesting point he says throughout it you know he wanted to sort of remind everybody that we live in a that that, that it was shot and it was in a post 9-11 scenario mm. so he's kind of got that little bit of racism in there with the Sikh yeah that was brilliant yeah that was so good like it was yeah. a subtle small bit but it was so effective because you're just like oh you're just actually, clicking the whole time when denzel washington is um interrogating the seat guy afterwards he ad-libs a line uh i bet you can still get a cab 
And apparently they all cracked up on set and it cut out, and the laughter is cut out because Spike Lee was saying, yeah, black people still can't, loads of Middle Eastern drivers. <laughs> the guy's moaning about the way he's been treated since 9-11. But Denzel Washington's warning him, reminding him, yeah, you, you can still get a cab though, unlike us black people. So um, he wants to remind us all it's a post 9-11 world. Um, really lovely little Easter eggs in there. When they ask for the pizzas for... Yes. Yes, you know what I'm going to say. When they ask for the pizzas for the hostages, it's from Sal's famous pizza. <laughs> Love that bit. And you know what? To be fair, Adam only pointed that out to me the other day because I was, I hadn't actually like noticed no. that. And you know, no. you're watching the movie, you're so engrossed in it. Um, so when I watched it again the other day, I was like, yes, I see, I see that. It's so I, cool. I think it should be the law that if you're a director. <laughs> You have to put in stuff for us geeks like that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need that stuff. We need that stuff. <laughs> and he had a lot of kids, um, a lot of people that he cast in it played uh, softball for his 40 Acres and a Mule team uh, or drivers. So some of the hostages were people who were in the fraternity but weren't necessarily actors. He so loved cool. The Wire. He thought The Wire, which was brilliant at the time, uh, still is, which was very prolific at the time, mm. was amazing. So he made sure he had some actors from the, the Wire. Thing I love about it as well is it keeps on referencing other heist movies or other bank robber hostage movies. So he talks about Serpico, the cop movie with Al Pacino, and he talks about yes. Dog Day Afternoon. And he even casts two of the hostages, I, I think were original hostages in uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, which wow, is okay. great little, Which is a great little nugget. Yeah. Um, so the, the little things like that uh, make it really good. He's got, no, a, he's got a great script there, and he handles that script really well. And there's no fat in it. I, I love yes. Spike Lee, as I say. But he does, every so often, I, I'll watch one of his films and love it and go, could have taken out a couple of scenes. He could trim... You know, I totally agree with you. There's so many movies like that. It's like, we could yeah. have lost 20 minutes, guys. Come on, yeah. that was so unnecessary. Um, but that's the one film I can wholeheartedly say every minute counts. <laughs> Definitely. He's also, I mean, a little bit of social kind of commentary that he puts in there. He had a games uh, company make the violent game that the black kid is playing. Yeah. He wanted to speak out about how he's against gangster rap and how it's uh, brainwashing young black kids and young black men and this whole idea of black-on-black violence. And again, it's not something that is massively rammed down your throat, but it speaks to me about that sort of essence of diversity. Would a white director put that in? Mm. Possibly not, almost certainly not. And we need lots of different voices telling lots of different stories or the same story, but from a different perspective, mm. because what you tend to get if you have the same people in the room all the time is you tend to get their one shared experience. And I think that, you know, once I listened to that on the DVD commentary uh, last night, I was, yeah, it's interesting. He's still kind of flexing his muscles, but not in a sledgehammer to a nut type way. It's, yeah. it's and it was funny because that was going to lead me on to my next question, which yeah. is like, what's one of your favourite scenes? And for me, that's one of my favourite scenes because right. they're both sitting on a 
a box of money and he asked him what you know to play the game and just see what he's playing and it's so aggressive it's so violent it's terrible for a child to be playing something like that and you can just clearly see that he's trying to make a point like you know and you know when Clive Bowman says I'm gonna need to speak to your dad about this game or whatever um and also the kid is probably one of the few people in the hostage situation that doesn't see anything wrong with what the bank robbers are doing he's like you've got to get paid too and that's because of the the how he's been conditioned through yeah. this music and gangster rap and this this violence, like kind of understanding, no, I get you, it's fine, like do what you've got to do. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. that's really true, paid. really true. I love all the, I guess they're flash forwards, aren't they? Mm. Which is a weird, it feels weird saying that word, <laughs> but it's the flash forwards to kind of the post hostage situation where the hostages are being interrogated. And yeah. he's shot that, a lot of it's shot in black and white. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of it is really stylized, so it's a lot of... Uh, it's like a grainy... Of, yes, grainy, uh, grainy and bright lights. It's almost a little bit, a little bit like... I think they use some sort of silver nitrate uh, process for shooting some of Seven. Oh, okay. Uh, David Fincher's Seven. And it sort of it hints to a little bit like that. Not only does it look great, but... A lot of those scenes are improvised and yeah. they feel genuine. They feel, they feel really good. So I, I, th- I think I like those scenes. I also like the, it's really clever. As Willem Dafoe talks about how they'll go in and storm the building, they show how that would work and then why they shouldn't do it because of the hostages that they would shoot. But they yeah. show, as Willem Dafoe's, sort of saying this is what we could do it's visualized and on the dvd it says we shot this on the very last day of filming because it meant that we could blow up the set so all the a lot of the interior of the bank is on sound stages uh which is a great little great little geeky uh (laughs) again but i've never really thought of spike lee again as an action director Mm. But he handles those action scenes really well. And there's sort of two or three of those scenes as well. Yeah. I love the beginning where the, where the police cars all come down and it's shot, oh. from, very, uh, it's shot yeah. from very high and it's shot down. And also yeah. when the hostages come out, last scene, but on the DVD he says, I, he was kind of inspired by all the, the bodies, the Confederate soldiers in Gone with the Wind. So you remember that? all the hostages have to lie on the floor and the camera comes along and, yeah. then up and it's very much like after that battle where you see all those Confederate Body. soldiers lying. Yeah. And so that scene, well, I guess those are, sh- those are shots, but yeah, the interrogation scenes and those shots yeah. make it really, really exciting, really interesting. I love the interrogation scenes. Um, one of my favourites is when um, Denzel and Shuetel are like perving on the girl with the big boobs. And um, it just shows their chemistry because even though it's awkward and, you, you know, no one wants to see Denzel doing all of that, but it just shows the kind of the subtleness that, you know, the skillfulness that they used in that scene. And it was uncomfortable to watch. And yeah. she's thinking, are you really doing this? But, you know, she can kind of handle herself in that situation. Yes. But it was just so normal and like these things happen and you know you'll be sitting across someone in on the tube and they're just like staring at your boobs and it was just like I think a lot of, a lot of women could just be like yeah yeah been there yeah and and it, what, what's interesting actually about that is yes it feels really out of character for 
for Denzel because he's <laughs> there's that great <laughs> that great uh, joke by Chris Rock uh, about black women getting angry with white girls for taking all our good black men and he goes we've only got seven and after Denzel it's a pretty big drop off and so <laughs> Denzel's on a pedestal so to see him suddenly be a little bit creepy it is yeah it, yeah yeah kind of do that but as we know, without spoiling it for people, boobs are important in that film. They're boobs important. are very important in that film. <laughs> so, so it's clever the way that he sort of got that in. Um, and, it, and, and again, it's not gratuitous. You, mm. you don't feel it's, it's rounded off nicely. Where do you see Inside Man sitting in the Denzel Spike Lee <sighs> marriage collaboration? Well, oh, it's a good, good question. It's, it's a toughie, isn't it? So he Got Game is a brilliant film. And mm. I think that's uh, one of Denzel's best performances. And again, a very confident, a very confidently directed by Spike. And so let's put that one over here. Okay. Surprisingly, I think... I was kind of half expecting myself to say Malcolm X and I didn't. Malcolm X is, it's a great film. It's a great, bi- it's a great biopic. You know, Malcolm X is a great character with a lot of great stories around him as well. Mm. It's slightly overlong for me. And mm. he's slightly, it's interesting talking to uh, your colleague Adam uh, about Malcolm X and he says, there's a grittiness there, but at some points it feels like a musical. The Lindy Hop scenes when Spike and uh, he plays Shorty in it, doesn't he? And um, yeah. go into the, the dance halls. Um, and then there are some, some of it feels very Ridley Scott, American gangster, I think, mm. the way that it's shot. Then towards the end, as Malcolm X is kind of going through this transformation and he does the Hajj in, and goes to Mecca, that feels like another film in a way. It's sort of the tone of it feels different. But then at the end where he's got all the kids saying, I'm Malcolm X and he gets Nelson Mandela in, I sort of feel, it kind of feels like a slightly, it's really important and I know what he's trying to say. Yeah, yeah. The film should have ended 20 minutes earlier <laughs> and it's, it just feels now watching it slightly mawkish. So not mawkish, that feels really mean, but it just doesn't, it doesn't need to be in there. It's not, it's not that sort of film for me. So Malcolm X, I think, comes under He Got Game. Mm-hmm. Mo' Better Blues is a great... Oh, just looking at it now. Mo' Better Blues is a great, great film. Yeah. And a really good story. And it's... You know, but I think Spike again, casting himself, mm. I don't think... I mean, I'm not saying that he's uh, the Sophia Coppola of the... <laughs> he's not, he's not <laughs> the Sophia Coppola of Mo Better Blues, but it's, it's colourful, it's great. I love the production design, I love the music. But no, so I'm going to say he got game, Malcolm X, Mo Better Blues, and I think I'm going to put Inside Man... I just think I'm going to slip that at the top because it's just... It's it's great. It's it's Denzel giving Spike Lee the performances that he used to save for Tony Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You totally. think of Crimson Tide. You think of Man on Fire. Oh, uh, Man on Fire. 
to my heart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is it Pelham? Does, did, they, did he Pelham, did make one, Pelham two, one, two, three together? I think, yeah, I I kind of feel he's got, he has a, uh, he gets a really, really good, strong performance there out of Denzel Washington. So it's probably my favourite, yeah. Um, so if you were going to recommend a scene for someone to go and watch, to, to incite them into watching In Sandman if they haven't for some crazy reason, what scene would you... I'll rate them too. Oh, the scene where Denzel goes into the bank to confront Clive Owen. Yes. And they end up tussling and they fall on the floor and you think to yourself, what's going on here? Surely, why hasn't Clive Owen shot Denzel Washington yeah. up the, you know, in some ways, in some ways, there's a bit of DNA from Michael Mann's heat in Inside Man with the, I know it's a cliche, but hey, that's one of my faves as well. These two guys are the flip side of the same coin and they're, they're not, but they're both very good at what they do and they're very, they have this emotional intelligence and Denzel Washington comes out afterwards and said, why didn't he shoot me? Why, exactly. didn't, he, why didn't he shoot me? And Clive Owen comes out of it and says, you know, you're a lot cleverer. You know, he shouldn't yeah, be a cop, but you're not, you shouldn't be a detective. You're a lot cleverer than, than you, than you think. Mm. So, so I like that scene. And obviously one of the very few scenes that they get together because of yeah. the film is shot. I remember watching that for the first time and I was like, oh my God, something's going to happen and it's all going to go wrong. And, yeah. you know, you kind of, it's so intense. Um, and so you're just thinking, hold on, he just killed the other guy. So why yes. is he him? So, yes. And yeah. again, and again, it all starts to make sense uh, towards, towards the end. And I think actually what's really interesting about that film, and I was trying to explain, I was trying to explain uh, two films that I really like that have come out in the last couple of years. One is 1917. Oh, fantastic. So you won't, what, I mean, obviously the one shot thing in 1917 is absolutely brilliant, but it's very rare that mm. you watch a film and it just has one story, no, no subplot. Yes. Yes. The story is you've got to get from A to B and yeah. the going to follow you. Very simple. <laughs> not at all, uh, which is kind of strange. And then the other one is Midsummer, which is sort of like the uh, remake of The Wicker Man with Florence. Not the remake, it's kind of inspired by The Wicker Man, done by the director, um, can't remember his name, who did Hereditary. Um, oh, that film was so intense. Yes. Jesus. So Midsummer is very much like that. With Inside Man, there is a lot going on. There's a yeah. hell of a lot going on. The Christopher Plummer storyline, uh, the, the it's hinted at that Denzel could be sort of a bit of a dirty cop yeah. uh, storyline. There's obviously the the robber the, the robbing that's going on, the heist that's going on, and to a lesser extent, his relationship with his girlfriend. Um, I think the, the subplots make it a more intricate film than it, it lets on. Again, like I say, the DNA of Heat, if you think about mm. Nero's character, Neil, Neil McCallum, I think he's called. Something yeah. like that, Neil. And just he breaks his own rule by falling yeah. in love with the girl. Mm. 
And you get the feeling that Clive Owen is breaking his own rules by not dealing properly with Denzel Washington. So there's this sense of tension underneath yeah. about it, which I love. Yeah, and it's because he likes him. That like he just yes. got a feeling that he just likes him, and yes. he's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow him." Um, one of the scenes that I like, or probably recommend, is quite early on in the film when they're stripped, like they're removing everyone's phones. And then the manager refuses to give his phone and then he finds a phone and he calls it and then it's like Kanye West, Gold Digger, plays. And I just found that so comical. Like, you know, one, don't expect him to have that as the ringtone. And then two, he goes and, you know, beats him up. He actually, that's one of the only casualties of the movie. Yes. um, Which is quite hilarious. But I just think that kind of sets the scene and the pace of um, of the rest of the, the movie. Yeah, really interesting. You're, you're so right because, of course, the Kanye West, as you say, Goldig comes in and yeah. you're like, oh, I can breathe again. And, you're like, <laughs> and then he gets beaten up and you're like, whoa, this is... Maybe not. <laughs> Exactly. This is pretty serious. He means business. Yeah. It's interesting as well that Terence um, Blanchard, who is a really long time Spike Lee collaborator who's done all his music, does the music for the film, the signature trump- trumpet bit from, from there. And so this isn't a film where Spike Lee has gone, I've hit the big time. I'm working with big time Hollywood producer Brian Grazer. So yeah. I'm going to... I'm going to sort of use new people and this must be a big opportunity. He's so confident in what he does and he, I like the idea that he stays loyal to the people who have worked on, you know, yeah. she's going to have it. And um, That's one thing I have noticed about him and in all his interviews and things that I've read, that he does keep a close-knit group of people that he keeps working with and he feels a responsibility to yes. ensure that they keep getting jobs and, you know, he puts them on these projects because he kind of feels or what I've heard him say is that if he doesn't, then they won't get that opportunity. And it's such a yeah. heavy responsibility to have. So we're not talking a few, you know, 10, 20 people. It's, you know, hundreds. Yeah. Um, so it's, heavy it's is the head that wears the crown. Mm, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I'm always happy uh, to talk films anytime, any films. And if I don't know it, I'm... I'll go and look it up and sort of find find out more stuff about it. But yeah, I love heist films. So if you, you basically sound like me, I just did a review for Heat, which is one of my top favorite films. I mean, the cast is ridiculous, but that gun fighting scene in the in the road is probably the most deafening, excellent thing you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. It's fantastic, um, and I just can't get enough of it. You know, I watch that over and over again. So <laughs> I love a good heist movie as well. It's um, oh, don't you feel for the guy who's breaking parole, who's the driver in that scene? You just want him to get away, you know? Uh, he's <laughs> yeah. There are so many heartbreaking moments in yeah. that. I, I say in my review, like, it was all going so well until you wanted revenge. You know, when he goes back to the hotel to kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like he could have got away if he hadn't gone back to the hotel. Yes. He got away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's him again kind of breaking his own rules of, like, not sticking to the plan and just, you know, getting away. So what it was do you think of sort of the, um, obviously, the scene of De Niro and Pacino in the diner. Do you think it lives up to everything you want it to be? Um, it's not like my go-to scene right. in the movie, but I think it's iconic. It's like, it carries so much 
Yes. It so much energy. I can just feel like yeah. <laughs> both of the energy just off the screen. And it's like, they don't really say that much either. They're kind of threatening each other as well. Like, I got to take you down. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll put you down and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's just who they are. It's why it's so iconic. It's, it's like a, finally the two heavyweights coming indeed. together. You know, it's Vito Corleone meets yeah. Michael Corleone, and that's all you're sort of thinking about. But also, yeah. I think two great actors at the height of their powers there doing really well. And in fact, Denzel Washington, nothing left to prove. He's got his Oscar for Training Day, you know, he's got his Oscar for Glory. He's made some great films. He breezes through Inside Man. I think that's what Inside Man is. Inside Man is a film with actors turning in confident performances under the helm of a really confident director. Clive Owen definitely deserves to be there. Yes. And Clive Owen, I watch him in that and I think he could have been a really good Bond. I think it's they really missed a trick, not... Yeah, I I agree with you there. He kind Um, of fits that old school James Bond as well, not the new kind of masculine one, but that kind of old school, um, suave kind of... It's been a great bridge between the sort of kind of throwback to Roger Moore that Pierce Brosnan was and into the kind of hard, thuggish character that Daniel Craig plays it. I think Clive Owen would have straddled that quite well because the first few... Craig Bonds didn't have any jokes or sense of humour in there at all. The idea of Daniel Craig driving a blow-up gondola across St Peter's is <laughs> <laughs> never going to happen. I think that's what I love about the film. The confidence of all the people making it oozes out and it's it, there, there's nothing about it that... It's not an anxious film. It's not... It's, it, no. it gets where it wants to go to in, in the right time. And as I say, it's sort of said to me, give Spike Lee more mainstream great films to tell. I would hate for his legacy to be, he was the man who made black... F- I don't want him to be pigeonholed. I want him to have that body yeah, of work. Totally, totally. But I, but I, both. Yeah, yeah, I would love to see... I would love to see more f- stories told through his perspective that don't feel sort of as though they are... They're weighted down in in race because I think that that showed that he is a really really great director he's fantastic and it it upsets me sometimes that he doesn't get his recognition I mean Black Klansman was phenomenal I I really enjoyed that Um, a little bit too long but (laughs) a little bit too long it's like we could just shut off a little bit but I get it you know it was a a a fantastic movie Um, and I guess you and I can talk about Spike Lee and all the movies in the world. <laughs> I feel like you're that sort of person that we could just go back to back and talk yes. about all our favourite films. Um, and I would definitely love to have you on again. When oh, you have brilliant. Time. I would love to come on again. Love to I've come on again. enjoyed our conversation. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on um, the Black Ink Cinema podcast. Thank we you. We appreciate your time and wish you all the very best in thank everything you. that you do. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. And you. Uh, so, so, so pleased to be interviewed by you and um, yeah, great. So keep doing what you're doing and getting Thank more of us on and doing the stuff. And uh, well, hopefully when um, we're back and up and running and we're able to put on the screenings, you'll come down and I will us. definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much, Simon. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye.